Welcome to Marketing Mistakes and How to Avoid Them. Here's your host, Stacey Jones. Welcome to Marketing Mistakes and How to Avoid Them. I'm Stacey Jones. I'm so happy to be here with you all today, and I want to give a very warm welcome to Nima Gardita. Nima is President and Chief Technical Officer at Pearl Mill, a tech-enabled growth marketing studio. He and his team work with brands to enable better digital performance while also focusing on advertising and creative stories to artfully market a brand. Having previously been in positions as a head of product at Taplytics, an EY Combinator company, the head of mobile at Frank and & Oak, and at a venture-funded consumer company, Nima is well-versed in the startup world. Today, he works with leading technology brands to help them acquire customers through art and technology by bringing a growth experimentation process to targeting creative production, and data engineering on major digital platforms. Nima lives life as an artist, entrepreneur, and engineer, and one of his core beliefs is that humans are influenced by narratives, something I am fascinated by, and that stories have the power to evoke emotion or thought, regardless if based in science, culture, or fiction. Today, we're going to be chatting about how brands should approach experimenting with growth marketing. We'll learn what works from his perspective, what should be avoided, and how some businesses just miss the mark. Nima, welcome. So happy to have you here today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Of course. What I'd love to do is start off by talking about how you got to here today, because you have an interesting story. Yeah, so... You know, I think, as you said, my background's been really in technology. Started as an engineer, moved into product management later on in my career. And what happened was that we started a different company. It was a consumer company to help people buy products better, like think of it as a consumer reports of the future. And we learned very quickly that that business model didn't work. But what we learned as part of that was how to run marketing very well. So we started consulting with some folks that we had gone through Y Combinator with and helping them acquire customers and, and find their audience. And over time, that became the business that we're running now, which is sort of a combination of, I would say, four different disciplines, right? There was growth marketing, so media buying, where are we putting the budget and allocating the budget? Creative production, what are we showing these users and how are they seeing it in what context and what channel, et cetera? Conversion rate optimization. So what is it like after people click on an ad what is the experience for the user? How are they going through the flow and becoming a customer? And the last part is data engineering, as you mentioned, just kind of a combination or the glue between all these things. Where is the data? How are we looking at the success of the work that we're doing? How are we understanding where should the money go? Where should the next dollar go? And how can we make sure that we are spending the money in the wisest way possible? And so there's technology on that front and sort of in every single part of this, there were some app or process that we've made automation around in our company. Our backgrounds, even though they're in technology, have merged with this world of marketing in a different way, I think, than maybe the average marketer ends up being. And I think because of it, we have some advantages and of course, some disadvantages that over time we've been able to hire for <laughs> to help us get better at those parts. But that's how we've ended up here. Well, you've been very tech-brained-minded yeah. versus the creative mindset of the marketer, probably. Yeah. And I think like we've been systemically thinking about these things and we do have a very strong creative team. One of my co-founders who joined the business later on and not from the beginning when it was just a tech company is incredibly talented in combining these two things, like the analytical mind with the creative mind. I would say it was not my forte. 
And I've been so grateful for her existence in our company and her leadership. So our backgrounds are in tech and more process-oriented people, but then we've combined them with what it takes to actually succeed in the world of marketing. But that actually gives you a leg up in some ways, because, you know, I know a lot of marketing and advertising agencies and the bunch of us are very creative souls who are not always so good at putting processes in place. And when you have a mindset that's more aligned to tech and systems, those processes are able to be put in place and things are able to be replicated and you're able to actually see actual metrics on your results a lot more easily. Yeah, I think that's probably why we're good at what we're doing um, is that we've been able to create some form of a marriage between these two things. I think we still have issues hiring from other agencies quite often Mm -hmm. because the culture is different. The culture is analytical, but creative at the same time. And it's been easier to actually teach the analytical part than to teach the creative part. But Because you can't teach creativity. It's I think, really, I mean, really, really hard to do. And I've tried. It's very hard. It's very hard. I think <laughs> it's, it's an interesting thing where brainwired. we want people to have what I call sort of controlled creativity, where I want you to focus your creativity with these constraints, but then you have to extrapolate the constraints, right? So let's say I run a campaign on Facebook and I spend you know, a few thousand dollars to understand that now we have to take photos from this angle or with this cinematography approach, or with this color scheme, or whatever the learning was. Now that's a new constraint, you have to play with it. That might be not interesting to you as a creative person, right? But for some people, it's actually quite interesting, because now you're almost giving them more to play with by creating constraints. And those are the folks that end up thriving within our organization, where they're discovering the constraints, so then they can be creative within those constraints, right? Which is a lot better than what happens in a lot of agencies where it's just like, bring on the creativity. And then you have people pretty much going and spinning in circles all over the place. And it's very hard to get people to get focused in on what the actual end goal is. Yeah, I mean, I would say it sounds like, you know more about (laughs) creative processes that are not like ours. Like I've only been in ours and I've seen it, but people do dislike it when they hear about it sometimes when we're trying to hire for it or when they come in it takes them a few months to change their mindset uh, to be in this way. So it's definitely a thing. And I think the industry was just had less access to data over the last, like, let's say 80 years. And so it was more of a creative pursuit than a results driven approach to things. Right. So I think we brought that part and there's plenty of other, I think companies that do performance marketing in the way that we do, but I think our slight difference is, that we're very technical and we understand these networks very well. So we know how to run tests in a way that we actually walk away with learnings and we can compound those learnings over time. And that's been the hardest part. And we can get into that process building, but that's the most challenging part has been knowing that you need to create a process, but actually implementing it in a way that works, in a way that is repeatable, in a way that scales, in a way that works for other types of brands and companies that you've yet to ever work with. And they walk into your company and you're like, well, I've never been in this new market, but does my process work for this market? And in the beginning, the answer was no, we had to come up with something new until we found sort of the common denominator process that kind of works across the board. And that's been the most challenging part of our existence over the past few years is how do we create a process that 
scales up, not only in terms of budget, because that was a thing that we had to deal with, deal with in the beginning. We were working with very early stage companies. And then when we were reaching scale with them, because we, you know, our style is that we work with folks for a long period of time, mm-hmm. our process would break down after, let's say, we were spending 50K a month for them to 200K a month, and that would break. And then from 200 to half a million, it would break again. And half a million to a million, it would break again. And then that, those are all learnings that we now carry with us. And that's been, I think, the hardest part about this business is yeah. just learning how to deal with scale. But I will say that is typically a problem that most business owners are happy to take on and have challenged with. Yeah, the good problems. <laughs> yeah, good problems. <laughs> to have for sure. But it's still hard. It's a little mayhemish to have to dial in and deliver on what you all are doing on a consistent basis when you know that little tweaks are going to send your measurements spiraling in a different direction potentially. Yeah. And I think the way we talk about them a lot internally is we are trusted with money, right? Lots of these people's budgets to get them customers. And especially because we work with startups, it is existential to their companies. And so the decisions we make have to be very well thought out. We should be thinking about them way ahead of time. We should never be scrapping to come up with the next idea and be always many, many weeks ahead. So we run a sprint model is what we call it. It's quite frankly, very close to an engineering organization where we understand what their roadmap is in terms of experiments we want to run both on the creative side and both on the media buying side. We run a monthly sprint process where one week is just coming up with ideas and three weeks is running those ideas, getting the data and then using it to come up with the next sprints ideas. And I quite often talk about us thinking of ourselves as almost a hedge fund in a way. We are trusted with capital. We should be, we're putting it into a system where if we do our jobs well, there will be more money at the end of it for our businesses and for our companies. And ultimately that means we end up making more money anyway, because if they scale, they'll pay us more money. So we're all very aligned that we need to make high level decisions about where the money goes Mm -hmm. and how do we wield that money in a way that makes more money, right? And I think that thinking helps a lot because now we spend you know, close to $100 million a year. So that's a lot of money that is entrusted to us as a team. And so we need to have a very strong process to manage it. And we need to be stewards of the capital. Mm-hmm. And so a combination of that thought process between the different teams ends up helping a lot. Even the creative team then thinks about, oh, well, I can't just come up with any random idea. I have to have reasons for why I think this is the right idea to test given that we're going to allocate thousands of dollars to this idea and it would be a waste for the brand if it was just some random idea. So it puts everyone to think in this way of, hey, we are just trying to do our best on handling the money that we're trusted with. I'm sure CFOs like you guys a lot. Uh, You know, actually, I don't think so. (laughs) Uh, Mostly because we charge a lot and I think that's part of it. And we're variable costs, which is also a slight problem because we charge usually either a percentage of ad spend or a percentage of what a contribution margin. So if you're in you know, your net revenue, it's, it's variable in that it changes based on how much you're spending. Mm-hmm. So ideally, they just have a fixed cost on us. But because we're performance driven, we want to be part of the win if we're able to achieve it. So we price that way. And I think a lot of ad agencies do this. And... The we do finance as well. part and of our the, agency. Yeah. We do as well. I mean, we're priced and scaled. Of if we're doing more work for the client, guess mm-hmm. what? 
we're getting paid for more work for doing for the client. The goal is we're all in it together as partners and we're growing each other along the way because it takes staffing and it takes brains and it takes so much more than just clicking buttons and saying, oh, we can just, you know, up your spend in some way. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> we have like many multi-hour debates about where to put the next like dollar sometimes. So I think definitely takes a lot. And yeah, I think it makes sense for us to be part of the, the upside that we're able to generate. What that means is that maybe the finance part of the organization doesn't love us necessarily. Okay. Yeah. Right. So people think growth marketing, performance marketing, like what do they think will happen versus what actually happens with that type of marketing practice? Yeah, I think basically a school of thought that has existed for the last maybe, let's say 12 to 15 years, that's changing dramatically right now as we speak, right? So let's say the growth marketing or performance marketing world, it really started becoming a bigger portion of people spent after mobile ads became a thing where you could have perfect attribution, right? So I could spend X dollars on Facebook and I would see X times five out of my app data within a certain period of time. And so then I can make very clear calculations about where my money is going and how much it's going to return. So there was like a dollar in, dollar out reality when performance marketing that maybe past marketing, brand marketing, and, and previous forms of marketing didn't have as tight of a grasp on. They always obviously cared. Everyone in marketing cares about the value of the work they were putting in, but it was harder to calculate. It was harder to extrapolate what is the exact value that we're getting out of this app, right? That's changing now because Apple has changed the rules of the game where the data is not coming in as clearly anymore and you now have predictive models for calculating value. So we are moving to a middle ground where we still get a sense of the value, but we don't get the exact value anymore. At least we don't get it at a, on a per person basis. It used to be that I, if you clicked on an ad, I knew exactly what ad you clicked on. And then six months later, if you spent $1,000 with our brand, I could extrapolate exactly how much it cost me to get you to click on something and buy our products. That's no longer the case. I would say I can tell that you were one of 10 or 30 customers that clicked on an ad that may have looked like this on that date. That's kind of more of a predictive. We get a sense of that you're part of a group of people that had performed a certain action and over time has provided this sort of value for us, which I think is better for consumers. I think that level of accuracy was almost too much understanding of uh, your user base. I think it, I'm generally pro-privacy. And so I think it's wonderful that the industry is moving towards an area where it's not as predictive in terms of how accurate the data is, but we still have information so we can be good stewards of the capital. I think the biggest hit, unfortunately, for these iOS 14 changes has been on the early stage companies, the, the ones that are not spending a lot. They don't have a lot of aggregate data to look at to make better decisions with. If you're at scale, the problems I'm talking about are less because knowing that you're one of 10 customers that clicked on this ad is actually enough for me to make good decisions. But if in total, I'm getting 10 customers a week, I'm not getting really any data to be able to make good decisions off of. So the changes have hurt small businesses, but ultimately are better for consumers, which is the trade-off that I think these privacy policies of the next maybe five years are going to have to make is where can we provide the value for SMBs 
and where can we provide more value and more privacy to consumers? The extreme no privacy was giving a lot of value to SMBs, but now we're kind of balancing it out. All right. And so when you're doing this and you're trying to live in this land that's friendly to customers, but actually works so well for your clients, what are some of the issues that come up? What are some of the mistakes that happen in the approaches with marketing? Yeah, I think that, you know, if we go back to the process conversation, I think everyone, if you're going around reading about growth marketing and how you can do your best job, being a growth marketer, everyone will talk about that you have to be experimenting with things and you have to run experiments and come up with ideas and try out different audiences and try out different creative. And, you know, if you're at slightly larger scales, try out different data optimization points, like what events are you trying to optimize towards and things like that, right? Yeah. Um, and I think that sounds easy. Oh, all I have to do is try a bunch of things. The problem with it is that it's very hard to get real learnings out of these experiments. So let's say I want to try out a different experiment. So Facebook has this feature called the lookalike, right? So you can grab an audience and create a lookalike off of that audience. And, and you want to see if that's a, it's a performance audience. How are you going to actually run that test? Are you going to create a different campaign? Are you going to create a different ad set? There's essentially three or four different ways of running this test. And then you have to isolate the data in a way that you can actually trust that oh, when I ran this test, it improved the data by 20%. And how much money you put towards it is actually a variable. So if you put enough money behind it, maybe it would work. But if you're risking too much by putting that, so there's all these variables you have to think about. So what I think is the hardest part is this process. How do you actually run this process and how do you instill it within your team to stick to the process? So for us, the way we've solved this for now, at least, is that we have a very clear way we run experiments for every part of this. We have at least one or two approaches we take and we stick to that approach, right? So for audiences, we test them in a certain way. We put them, let's say, in a specific ad set and we allocate this percentage of the budget to it. And that's a variable of how much risk we're willing to take on the test. And the same thing with creative. How are you actually allocating the budget to creatives? What is the structure within the ad account for how to run these creative tests? And who's deciding which creative won and which ones didn't win? And how can you extrapolate the learnings, right? Um, for us, we've now gotten to a point where we can tell you, for instance, one of our clients is named Sonder. They're a distributed hotel. We now know that if you have a shoot of their apartments in such a way that there's a kitchen countertop in, in the image, there is massive windows and there is big high ceilings in the image, people are two or three X more likely to convert. We learned this over time. And then all that learnings, all those learnings are in a document where when the creative directors want to attempt another test, they know all the things we know about their customers and how can we use that to run new tests and get more um, insights and learnings from the account. So these things, I think, are hard to build within the organization and harder when you're actually in-house. Our whole job is to master this process, right? And we still have problems doing it because it's hard to get people to follow these things. Imagine being in-house. And you don't even have the resources that we have to care about these things. It just is a hard thing to do. So I think if you can nail the process, we have not ever failed at scaling up an account that has a good product if we've stuck to our process. And so that's the biggest learning is, can you actually stick to one of these processes that people talk about and create rules and understanding of each ad network has its nuances. How do you test things within each app network like Facebook versus Google versus TikTok versus Snapchat? And 
have real hard conversations about, I know we ran this test, but it didn't follow our process. We cannot trust this data. We need to run it again. And that happens to us still. Um, and those are in a way winning moments for us because it shows that our team cares about understanding what actually happened with their tests, even though that, that someone maybe made the wrong decision at that time when they ran the original version of the test and ended up in a situation where we have to run the test again, right? Or sometimes the client pushes for too many variables and we end up with no learnings because there's, right. there's too many variables introduced in the test. Okay. And so once you, like, is there an ideal number of variables when you're doing this? Like, are you trying to limit your team so that there's like more of a focus versus the almost overload of, hey, it's not A-B testing now, now it's A to Z testing? Yeah, I think it's a good question. So I would say it's very dependent on the scale, right? So if we're at massive scale, I would like the variable to be one. If we're at earlier stages, it's impossible to do one variable at a time because you just do not have enough data. So what you want to be doing is grouping the variables in a way that are that are related as much as possible and there is low variance, right? So if you're running a creative test, let's say, and you're running five different tests, the five should be as wildly different as they can be as possible. So then you have now directional information about where to go next, right? So let's say you try animation versus illustration versus cinematography of this approach versus static versus video. And those are the five tests that you're running. Two of them do well. There's almost no overlap. That's actually fantastic. Right, two of them did well. Now you have two general areas to explore, and then you cut it down a little bit more. Right, so with an animation, you try out different forms of animation, let's say, or different formats and different ways of writing the copy and things like that. So you just kind of slowly build up on top of it. But if you're at scale, and by scale, I mean you know, you're spending hundreds of thousands of dollars a month. Our clients, on average, are spending about half a million dollars a month. So we are able to test in much more focused ways where we'll test one new audience. And I'll only do it for a week and we get the answer within five to six days because we have the scale and we can allocate the budget in such a way that we get the answer very quickly. It depends, basically. <laughs> it depends. Sometimes, sometimes not. Um, are there any type of brands that, you know, I know you work more with startup and a lot of tech, but are there brands that are better for growth marketing versus others? Uh, yeah, that's a very good question to ask. I would say let's just separate between DTC and then non-DTC, which yep. might be like marketplaces and BBB and things like that. So for DTC, I would say the way I think about it is essentially, what is the percentage of your contribution that can go towards marketing? And is that a reasonable amount on the absolute basis to compete in the market? So if you have, let's say, a deodorant and you're selling it for $7 and you have $3 to spend on marketing based on your margins. And you now know that there is at least 40 different companies that have raised somewhere between five to $20 million this year to produce new deodorants. I would say that is too competitive. And you can run a very simple test. You create a landing page with a fake brand and run some tests on Facebook and you'll see that it's just more expensive than you would want it to be to convert a customer. And so I think there is like a real hard conversation you need to have with yourself about uh, what is the market you're in and how competitive is that market? And if your user sort of spend dynamics are going to work or not. 
And ETC in general has, as you probably know, has become more and more and more competitive. And you're going to not differentiate much on anything other than brand. And brand differentiation doesn't scale. And you'll, you can look at companies like Casper that are still losing money per mattress, even though they're a public company. And I think you can call that a success. But to me, that is not a successful business. They continue to lose money every month and they might run out of business at some point. So that's the, I think, the question you have to ask yourself. And then there's, of course, the dynamic on repeat rates. So if you cannot break even on the first purchase, what is the, is it the nth purchase you're going to break even on? Okay, how often do you think people are going to actually come back and purchase? How long it'll take you to recoup the money? And if it's anything over 12 months, it's just not going to work because most venture capital needs you to return the money within a 12-month period. And we can go to towards the discussion of maybe you should not raise venture capital and things like that. So that's kind of the DTC area. If you are, let's say, a marketplace in a B2B business, I would say those are businesses that it's the greatest time to be doing advertising and growth marketing on because there's so much to differentiate on. Most of the marketplaces are grabbing something that was local before and making it national. At least the acquisition is national. Of course, the services are still local. And when you make acquisition national, you're going to save a lot of money. So you should, those are great businesses. We have quite a few of those and we do extremely well with them. And on the B2B side, I think it's new. So that means in the next three to five years, it's going to get very competitive, but marketers are just waking up that, Hey, it turns out I can show ads to a CEO of a small business and sell my software to them or, or my product to them. And not a lot of people know this yet. So it's not as competitive on Facebook to spend on ads to show ads to CEOs yet. So it's much more it B2C driven versus B2B driven. Yeah. And people seem to forget a lot of time that those, that secondary B, their butt is sitting in a seat and they're actually really consumer still. And yeah. all of the consumer channels are available to market to those Bs very, very strongly. Yeah, I agree. I used to be, people give me these like weird looks when I would tell them that we're scaling a B2B brand on Facebook. Um, and they just wouldn't believe it. They, you know, they thought the only way it would work is on LinkedIn and, and at best maybe Google. Um, and now we have one of our favorite clients is called Ramp and they've scaled massively on Facebook over the last couple of years. And um, they, they reached a hundred million dollars in ARR within like 18 months or something. So that, that there's it definitely works. Um, and I haven't seen it not work yet, and, but I, it is getting more competitive. It's getting more expensive than I've ever seen before. I would give it a timeline of a few years before it gets so competitive that it maybe doesn't make sense unless you're a specific sector. Yeah. So our agency, my agency that I found, it's called Hollywood Branded. And what we do is we put brands in movies and TV shows and mm. with celebrities and influencers. And a lot of times we have clients who are B2B driven, not B2C. Mm-hmm. And they always, when we first start conversations, they're like, what do you mean I can market my B2B brand to people who watch TV and watch films? I'm like, well, what do you think that person who's a decision maker behind their desk is doing in their free time? They're sitting on their couch, their feet are up, their family's around them, and they are immersed in entertainment. And it's a fantastic platform. It's the same thing as the social universe that's out there. Whether they're there on their business time or in their real life personal time, if they have any of it, or they're kind of combining the two and working while watching TV with their children, you know, it's, it's just a great way to get in front of people. Mm. Yeah, I believe that completely. Um, and we've proven it on our end. I'm sure you've proven it on yeah. your end that it over works Over and over now. again. 
Yeah, and it's I think people are waking up to it, which makes it more competitive um, yeah. for for the brands. And I think they have to be careful of that. Um, do you do a lot with LinkedIn? Something like so we do uh, paid social and paid search. Um, and within paid social, about 60, 70% is Facebook, Instagram, mm-hmm. another 20% is TikTok and Snap, mostly TikTok. Mm-hmm. Um, the Snap is more brand advertising than it is performance. Um, and somewhere around 10 to 15% is, is LinkedIn. Um, that's still a lot. That's like hundreds of thousands of dollars a month. But uh, what we've learned is it works better for getting someone to first understand who you are and clicking in, but not conversion. So it's very good at bringing people into, let's say, part of the funnel. Yeah, it's just to tell them about who you are. And the targeting is fantastic there, right? Because you know exactly who they are, where they work, and what their titles are. So you, you can get them in and then retarget them on these other platforms like yeah. Facebook and Instagram. And that works quite well. Yeah, we ended up having a client that ultimately we worked with for over 10 years before they went a little belly up, but they went through several, you know, shifts of CMOs and the like. And I think around the second time that we had lost them as a client before being brought in, I went crazy on social where we created an ad specific to executives in our marketing team who are all new in order to show them the work that we had done with their prior teams and to convince them. And it actually worked. I was a little stunned and surprised that that kind of approach would work. Yeah, it's just storytelling. And just because they're on an app that they're not thinking about work, it doesn't mean you can't tell them the story about their day jobs, right? So, and more and more, especially during COVID, people were working so much so that they were on social during the day, even though they were working. So, you know, people take breaks all the time. They're there. And if we can, you know, show them an impression and a good story of maybe a tool that could help them today at their job, um, it works, you know. Well, Nima, I could keep on talking to you forever, but how can our listeners find you? Where do they need to go? Yeah, thank you. So they can find us on paramil.com, P-E-A-R-M-I-L-L.com. And they can fill out the form there to hit me up. I actually respond to those emails still. Or you can go on Twitter and find me, uh, twitter.com slash ngardide, G-A-R-D-I-D-H, and tweet at me to just ask me questions about growth marketing. Um, yeah, we work with startups of, of all kinds um, and usually like to get involved early-ish, but not so early that we're launching you. Uh, we like to work with you when you have proven that your product is working and people want it. And we're, we're better, a better partner to help people scale. And that's, you know, when we're talking about process, it's a whole different process to take you from zero to one in our experience than it is to take someone from one to a hundred. Um, and as much as we like doing the zero to one as, as founders of an agency, um, and being with the founders very early on, uh, there's not a lot of money for it. And it's, a, yeah, it's a lot of our, <laughs> it's a lot of hours sort of, and heart and time and a lot of things that don't actually necessarily come to life. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and not because you're not marketing correctly, but because they don't have the business and the processes down in their own model of what they're doing. And so no matter how well you market them, and we have the same experience, you're on a losing end of the, you're on the losing end sometimes because you can't, mm-hmm fix the problems inside the organization. Yeah. And we've dealt with that quite a few times and it's an interesting problem because it's fun. It's super yeah. fun to be early and talking to customers. You're changing um, the world. Them. Yeah. And, and it's quite interesting. I think the problem is product market fit is very hard. Yeah. And so at marketing 
firms or even your marketing, internal marketing team can only do so much. It's actually on the product team to do it. And sometimes it takes three years to get there. Mm-hmm. And the ROI isn't there for us for sure. But even beyond the financial reality, it's a part of our soul that goes into something. And if it doesn't work out, it's just hard to deal with. Well, thank you for joining us and sharing all of your insights. You've obviously built a tremendously successful company. So congratulations to you as well. Thanks for having me. It was great to chat with you. So good to see that you're also working on so super interesting paths to helping brands uh, reach their audiences. And we have fun. We do things that are totally out of the ordinary and we are a very niche agency indeed. But to all of our listeners who just tuned in, thank you so much. Have a great day. I appreciate your listening to marketing mistakes and how to avoid them. And if you just happen to want to participate in a little bit of fun, you can always reach out to our agency and we can chat about how we can embed your brand into other people's content to get you massive eyeballs all around the world. I look forward to chatting with you this next week. Have a great one.